when you were here this summer, you had mentioned that one of the things that struck you about Globe Life Field is that the way it's designed, it could potentially be very loud if you get like actual people there. And I know there are only 11,000 at a game for the entire World Series, but did you get that sense with people in the stands that it was a little louder than 11,000 people can normally be? Uh, I will say the Dodger crowd makes it sound loud. I don't know how the Ranger crowd is going to be, but uh, I will say I don't know how people don't go deaf when they go to Dodger Stadium because <laughs> it, it was pretty loud for 11,000s. Nice, and good on the Dodger fans then, if that's the case. And I, I've heard the complaints about Dodger Stadium before, but it's almost always about how much the sound system is pumped up as opposed to the crowd. That I guess between the organ and then all the walk-up music that's already cranked to well past 11, and it drives crusty old sports writers completely insane. It all makes sense now, because yeah. I didn't figure that was the complaint, but you know what? Now I can understand. I, yeah. I finally into the shoes on there uh as far as globe light field goes it wasn't like deafening loud actually um i thought the sound system was pretty good hmm. uh but no it, now it now it makes sense i do get that sense when i watch it on tv and now it it all all the pieces are together yeah dodger fans i think have been trained just by years of having to outshout i guess randy newman cranked to the maximum volume at the end of every game how is that by the way hearing another team's victory song coming at the end of a win at Club Life Field. Is that weird? Yes, it is. And to be honest, that's probably the least weird thing. <laughs> what, what would you say is sticks out in your mind as just the most bizarre experience of all this? Um, it's, I think, certain sounds that you typically hear, uh, like Dodger Stadium, you hear the music throughout the, throughout the game when the Rays homer, the uh, Ray's horn, you hear oh, that. Yeah. And so it's kind of weird hearing that. Uh, the natural does not play uh, mm -hmm. as far as Dodger homers, Ray's homers. Um, so that is kind of weird. And hearing uh, PA announcer Chuck Morgan get <laughs> excited for guys like Mookie Betts, Corey <laughs> Seager, Max Muncie, Cody Bellinger, it... Uh, I don't know how Ranger fans feel about that because on the one hand, that's pretty good. On the other hand, uh, it's not your team. Yeah, I, I suppose that's Chuck just being a professional. And I heard, and it might have been actually from your Twitter account, I forget where it was, that he even tried to do a VIN and threw in an, it's time for Dodger baseball. All except game six. They actually had Vin Scully on the Jumbotron ah, saying it. Love it. Love it. Like, like that. He said that that happened twice. I forgot what the other time was, but yeah, he tweeted back to me. He said that's the second time. Hmm. Um, I, I don't recall what the, it may have been game one. I don't know, but I do know game six. Nice. Yeah. That was like Vin knew. <laughs> gives me all, all the warm fuzzies. Like any, anytime you can get Vinny more involved. Uh, are you following his Twitter page by the way? Oh, who isn't? Yeah. Yeah. That is if, as soon as he posts, it's like, okay, this entire hell site is redeemed for the next two minutes. If you have a bad day, go to Vince Scully's Twitter page and just run through it and yeah. you'll feel better. What a damn superpower he has as, as a baseball announcer that just hearing that voice just makes you think, yeah, things aren't going to be the worst for a little bit. That's, that, that's really great. Um, and how did you, like, you have, you spent time in the park for the entire six games of this World Series. The World Series has been on my bucket list as far back as I can remember. I've, I've still never gone. The one time the Cubs were in, I was living in New York, 
and also didn't have an extra $10,000 to throw around at the time. So like, it, what was the experience like for you just personally? Well, I will say this is that my experience in 2020 World Series is not the main experience that people have. I'd say this as a fact, uh, talking to other people. So me giving out my experience is kind of like a glass half full, glass half empty type. Uh, take it with a grain of salt. It was it was strange. On the one hand, it didn't feel like, and it didn't feel like a World Series atmosphere in the press box. The only reason it did is because of the fans, and that's it. Outside of that, it just felt like a regular, a normal regular season game. Um, yeah, there's more media there. Yeah, there's more media involved, but it just, I don't know. It just didn't have that exact feel other than the fact that, yes, you have fans. Yes, it's a neutral site, but it just, when you walk into the park, it just didn't have that, didn't have that sense to it. And yeah, I guess that that's kind of the 2020 ness of all this, and also probably sports writer professionalism that you got to show when you're. And you're a neutral party too. So yeah. not just starting on a neutral field, but you're kind of a neutral party, whereas probably your biggest thing about having, let's say, the Dodgers win game six is that, oh, there's no game seven, so I don't have to go to the park the next day. <laughs> Which is really what MLB wants everybody to feel at the end of the World Series, right? Ah, thank God, no Game 7. Uh, I think in 2020 more so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We will dive into that in just a second. Uh, one more question before we do. Uh, was there anybody, any reporter you noticed in the press box for the World Series where you just kind of did a double take and thought, oh, holy shit, this is the biggest deal in baseball right now? Well, I do have a piece upcoming that's going to be um, upcoming this weekend, kind of getting writers' opinions. So I do have um, Evan Grant, the Dallas Morning News, Levi Weaver from The Athletic, and then I also do have Jeff Passan from ESPN, a part of it. So uh, that should be out this this upcoming weekend, uh, kind of get their thoughts as far as Globe Life Field goes. Um, just, a little, just a little small Q&A with all three of them, so... That should be, was really excited for that. Um, and that will be, everyone, everyone's Dallas. fantastic. And that will be up on Dallas Sports Fanatic, I assume? Yep. Excellent. Yep. And that will say good lead in to the show intro, and then we will pick right up where that leaves off. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 50, appropriately enough, the Mookie Betts episode of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports Baseball Prospectus and actual real-life stand-up comedian again. My uh, guest this, this for this episode, the other voice you were hearing on the other end, is friend of the pod and Dallas sports fanatic contributor Alex Plink is back. Thank you for being here, sir. You are brightening all of our days with tales of the past week in postseason baseball. Thanks for joining me. I, you're, thank you so much. I feel like it's, it's funny because I feel like it's been I, what has it been like a month since I joined? It feels like uh, it feels like a year. Yeah, I mean, certainly a, a Rangers correspondent would not be someone I would be expecting to invite on at the end of October this year. But since you were there for literally every game of the most important event on the baseball calendar, I mean, that there is no better guest. Just in general, <laughs> I'll say there is no better guest. Why not? Let's throw that out there. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. And speaking of uh, Jeff Passan, he wrote what might be the best epitaph for what we're about to dive into. Uh, Justin Turner uh, is going to overshadow the first part of this podcast, as he did Game 6, as he did the entire World Series. 
And Jeff Passan in his ESPN.com article dubbed it perhaps the most appropriate 2020 ending to this particular season. And uh, so we were talking a bit before we started recording, uh, tell the listening audience, when did you find out that Justin Turner had tested positive for COVID-19? I found out about 20 to 25 minutes after the game. And the reason for that, I, I think it came out, if I recall my Twitter feed correctly, Passon tweeted that out about 10, 15 minutes. And to be fair to the audience, I was taking photographs, video of what was going on down in the field. So it's not like I was just kind of standing around. Um, I was doing, well, quote unquote work. Uh, so that's when we, that's when I assume everybody found out. Um, and I'm guessing on TV, that's kind of, if I, there was like a little report, I, I guess, after the game that had that information. So I guess that's when everybody, when Ken Rosenthal found out, and that's when Passon found out. Um, no, I, why not end a COVID-shortened <laughs> season with somebody getting COVID? Uh-huh. Uh, and then you have whether or not he should have been on the field for a celebration or not. I think that's the most appropriate way to end this season. Of course, and really, there's nothing more American. Are they even in Dallas, any Arlington anymore? Did they leave? Uh, I mean, yeah. the Dodgers have been here for a month, so you <laughs> might as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe they all flew out yesterday, if my Twitter timeline memory is correct, that they tested everybody, and the only person who, oddly enough, came back positive in the day after test was a spouse of one of the Rays. But uh, they got all the Dodgers out, and I... I I guess that's also Justin Turner. So do now we have another. Do we have another episode of Days of Our Lives upcoming? Oh God, now, now the Turners might be wandering around California, spreading it around God knows where in L.A., which is, as you know, is also one of the hot spots and has been since the, the entire. They summer. say baseball's a soap opera. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not going to end. Like just like yeah, just like it is with the entire country. Pretty much. So baseball, as the Hall of Fame has insisted over and over again, baseball is America right now. And, and to be fair to, to you, too, in terms of when you found out, you don't expect once you've reached the end right. of a World Series game that you've seen played out in front of your face in person to then find out, oh, yeah, one of the players had the plague, too, by the way. I, I mean, and... I know a lot of people are going to say that Justin Turner shouldn't have been on the field, but let me, let me ask you this question for a once in a lifetime opportunity. You win a world series is the first franchise world series in 32 years. It's your first world series. Are you really going to sit in the timeout corner and just watching your teammates hold the glory? I mean, to be fair, yes, major league baseball should have dragged Justin Turner out of the ballpark and taken him back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. but they didn't do that. So are you really going to just sit and just watch? I'm I, sure on the field, he was like, he didn't even think he had COVID mm-hmm. just because oh. of the moment. The, the thing that he tweeted out uh, between the time where it was found out and the time where he ran on the field was I am experiencing no symptoms. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I've been spending a fair amount of time, at least trying to emotionally understand that mindset. And to a certain extent, yeah, I definitely get what you just said, that this is what you have been striving for your entire career. This is the pinnacle of your life in baseball. And certainly with this Dodgers team, where he spent, I think it's the second longest tenure outside of Kershaw at this point. Right. So he's gone through disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. 
And yeah, I understand that you really, really want to fully experience that moment when you're at the top of your profession. But however, if you are the de facto team captain, which judging by what has been written about him over the past couple of days, again, in pass and speech especially, that's how everybody in the Dodgers views him. He is the guy in that clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is also on you, especially when you test positive for the virus that is plaguing and shutting down this entire country, you, are make, you have to understand you are making a conscious decision at that point when you walk back out on the field to put all of your teammates, all of their families at some level of risk and some level of danger. And especially with your cancer surviving manager, Dave Roberts, or uh, players whose wives might be pregnant. I know that there's at least one that's been, I can't, doesn't come readily to mind. But this is a situation that is bigger than you. So I understand, to a certain extent, getting caught up in that moment. But it's still, to me, a very selfish act when you're not able to take into account the health and well-being of these people that you spent multiple seasons with and, and clearly do mean something to you. And I, I, trust me, I understand that these people mean something to you, but you have, to a certain extent, you do have to keep your head in that moment and realize that the virus doesn't care about your championship. It, the virus doesn't give a shit about a trophy that this is still something that is bigger than this game. It has been all year. And it's why we nearly shut the game down after the Marlins super spreader and the Cardinals super spreader events happened. That, and I understand too that we'll that also plays in your that. mind. That you've reached the end. So it's like, yeah, we can finally, we don't have any more games to play. So fuck it. But even then, even that, that that's why we're in the situation we are we in as a country is that even then you have to realize that you have to do your part to shut this down. And he didn't. But Ken, at the same time as ma- my question to major league baseball is why are you putting Justin Turner in that position? Yes. Shouldn't yeah, you okay. have, it shouldn't be at a point where he should be put in that position to have to make that decision. There should be major league baseball should have never even put Justin Turner in that position. That, yeah. That's my thing is oh. that because yeah, emotion is going to overlap what conscious you're thinking right now. So you, it's not hundred percent. I mean, if I'm in Justin Turner's position, I can't safely say I'm going to hide into the corner under all those circumstances, under everything me and my team have been through after year after year and how long of a tenure I can't sit here and say that I wouldn't make the same decision. And I don't think a lot of, and if you really think about it, I don't know if, anyone can even say that and if you do say that then boy i mean you're not a i don't want to say you're a bad teammate but i mean that it doesn't mean you care you don't really care as much for the championship yeah i I wouldn't go that far in in terms of i i I understand uh and i agree with the first part of your statement completely and we'll, we'll touch on that in a second i wouldn't go so far to say that not being out on the field after you test positive for covid makes you a bad teammate that i to me that's the reverse that that's, that's sacrificing your... Are you thinking per- about it? I, I mean, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You, you have to be human. You definitely, as, as a human being... you. It's not an easy decision, right. I guess is what I'm saying. Is I, oh, that sure. You're not just going to be like, okay, I'll sit here and that's it. Yeah. Oh, no, the, the, you're, you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to join my team. And then 
maybe you hold back, but you're definitely thinking about it. You're definitely, it's crossing your mind. Yes, 100%. Every single person who is- I think if it doesn't cross your mind, then you're, you know, you're not thinking about that this means big for you. Yeah, well, it, it, I, I don't think you're being honest if you say it's right. not crossing your mind. That's, I mean, that, that's just being human, uh, especially in, in a moment like that. Uh, and I do definitely agree that, that MLB has to step up in that instance. And it, it's, it, again, hearkening back to what happened with the Marlins back in late July, early August, where MLB put it on Rojas, the shortstop, to make the decision as to whether or not they would take the field against the Phillies that day. If, yeah, for any player, if you give them the option to be with their teammates and to take the field and to play a game, they will say yes, that, that's yes. in their DNA. And I yes. understand that. And MLB's statement afterward really struck me as just completely weak in, in a situation like this where they said that... Well, that's news. Yeah, go figure. Rob Manfred, uh, and where they said that their security tried to tell Justin Turner not to go on the field, but he was adamantly opposed to them. So really, that's all it takes to get beyond MLB security goons? Is you just was it like this? was it like a mom telling their little kid, "Don't you touch that," and uh-huh. like you figure the kid's gonna listen? <laughs> uh huh. I mean, so next year, if in the middle of a Cubs Red series, if I wanted to walk onto the field and kick Trevor Bauer in the nuts, and security intercepted me, and I said, "No, no, really, I really want to kick Trevor Bauer in the nuts," they'd be like, "Hey, yeah, more power to you. Go on, good on you. Um, yeah, then okay." All right, that's the new policy. Thanks, Rob Manfred. By the way, Rob Manfred got a great ovation. Oh, loved it. Yes, yes. Like, like that was, that, that's one of those moments. It, it's like Trump last year uh, when he got introduced before the Nationals crowd and everybody booed him. And at that point, I tweeted out, I just found a 37,000-way tie for World Series MVP. And just like now, Rob Manfred finally getting confronted, not having to deal with media kiss-asses being confronted by how people really feel about what he is, who he is, and the job he's done. That was a beautiful moment. And man, did that shake him to his core. And, it, you know, the crowd wasn't just, it was Dodger fans, but it was also, there was a little bit of Rays fans. There were some Ranger fans there too. Um, of course, Marlins man was there uh, <laughs> as, as per always. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't, I would constantly say that everybody stayed or except Rays fans probably left, but I would say Ranger fans probably stayed to watch the celebration too. Cause unfortunately you may never see that again, <laughs> or unless um, if it's on the opposing side, they haven't seen that. They saw it with the giants back in 2010, but, uh, but no, I think, uh, I think if you go to any stadium, you're going to have the same reception. There is one other thing I wanted to bring up as you mentioned the Marlins if you recall, and this whole Justin Turner timeline is kind of peculiar to me because from what I heard, his initial Monday test was inconclusive in the second inning of Tuesday's game. Now, the second inning is at 8 o'clock Central Time. It, it was about 7.45, 8 o'clock, my memory serves. How are test results coming back at 7.45, 8 o'clock p.m. the next day and didn't they push the Marlins-Orioles game back 30 minutes when the Marlins were coming back from their outbreak? So my first question is, if they had an inconclusive test, number one, why is Justin Turner even playing? Number two, why is the game, I know it's a World Series game, 
but still the game should be pushed back. Number three, how does it take at least, and I would say more than 24 hours because I highly doubt they're taking a test at eight, nine o'clock PM on an off day. How does it take that long when you're testing two teams rather than testing 30 teams? So I, and the thing is, is that I know fans from outside the Dodger organization are going to say that this is a tainted title because Justin Turner shouldn't have played. I do want to make one thing clear. Justin Turner went 0 for 3 with a couple of strikeouts. So I don't think if Justin Turner had played, that really would have changed the outcome. Mm -hmm. But it does make you wonder. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, the the only way you change the outcome of that game is if somehow Kevin Cash tests positive before the game starts. And we'll, we'll dig into that in a second. But, I mean, that's kind of one and the same in terms of just the way MLB and the owners have approached this entire season where their goal has always been, let's get the, let's get this season and let's get these games in. And if sometimes we have to make, take shortcuts around what's best for player health, eh, we're okay with that. If, you know, we want to make the Mariners and A's play when there's a raging fire that's burning down the entire States and obscuring the outfield, then yeah, yeah. Let them take the field. If you want to make the Cardinals play, 15 doubleheaders in a month, it's, it's the cost of doing business right now. It's MLB's goal from the start to just by their actions has always been, let's get this season in, let's get the TV money, let's get this done. And it's to me, the, the I mean, all the questions you ask are, should be asked of upper management. And I'll add one. And that is why are we receiving results, uh, inconclusive results in the second inning, as opposed to, before the most important game of the entire season. You'd think that would be the time, a, a good deadline for finding out whether or not any of these players might have tested positive. And, and perhaps maybe the fact that they had them in the bubble gave them a false sense of security, thinking, well, we don't need to have these maybe be as timely because we're taking so many extra precautions. But obviously, clearly in retrospect, nope, not at all. Can you imagine if the Rays won? Oh, my God. Like, if somehow Kevin Cash leaves in Blake Snell and it's a one nothing victory, I mean, a lot has to go right for that to happen, obviously. But then, yeah, we're talking about the second probably lengthy delay in the middle of a World Series since 1989, the old Earthquake Series. I mean, we'll probably have to wait a solid 10 days, two weeks maybe, to play one last game. Well... I, I would say because of your because of what you mentioned earlier, the results came back. Most of them came back negative, so they probably would have played maybe Friday, yeah, or, or Thursday, or yeah, Thursday. I mean, we're um, yeah, Thursday or Friday. We won the results. Probably said, okay, let's play game mm-hmm. seven. But it surely wouldn't have been Wednesday. No, no, it wouldn't. And and then you'd have multiple days where the the talk around the globe would be nothing but. So, yeah, yeah, baseball almost made it to the end of the season, but, uh, yeah, you can't escape COVID. And the other thing on that is any results that had happened after the celebration of the Dodgers, obviously if the Rays win, that doesn't happen because the Dodgers aren't celebrating on the field. Right. So anything, if, if that one case happened because of after the celebration, then that case doesn't happen. So. Yeah, and then you'd have to make damn sure that you kept Turner isolated because – if they had lost, play. then you'd have him sharing a locker room for an extended period of time with everybody at that point. And, 
as we know, that's that's the kind of environment where this really that, that, that seems to be the one thing we figured out is the virus really thrives in closed and confined spaces over long periods of time, and that would be the worst possible situation for his teammates. Uh, but as I said, we've got uh, Kevin Cash to thank for the fact that it ended in six, uh, at least a great deal. That, that's certainly my feeling. Uh, when Kevin Cash took out Blake Snell after uh, five and a third amazing innings, um, was there a vibe in the press box of what the hell is he doing? There was, there was just um, a look of bewilderment on everybody. And it's interesting because I was talking to one of the Fox Sports Southwest who's working the World Series. Uh, she was working and we were just kind of talking and all of a sudden we look and Snell's getting pulled and she's like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> what? I mean, <laughs> The thing is, is that it was kind of, it pulled me back to the ALCS when Kevin Cash did this again and it backfired. So that made it even, to me, made it even more confusing because it's like, well, you tried it once and it didn't work and now you're going to try it again. I understand analytics tell you that facing a lineup for the third time, facing the Dodgers lineup a third time, you don't want to take that chance and if Blake Snell had been laboring like Tyler Glass now did, then I could understand his decision. But no way should he have been taken out. And that's one where you have to act on emotion rather than analytics. And it brings me to a small comparison in like, let's say you play a seventh inning, you're in the seventh inning, you're down by three and you have a big power hitter. Use Joey Gallo, for example. Joey Gallo has dropped down a bunt before. He does that. And he's even said in a game where my power is not really going to do as much, getting a base runner is more important than hitting a solo homer. He will drop down a bunt, which will benefit the team more. And that analytics are not going to tell you that. Analytics just say swing away based on who Joey Gallo is. But that's where you play with your emotion rather than you play based on what stat sheet tells you or basically what a robot tells you. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's to me, I mean, the Joey Gallo example is recognizing game situation and understanding mm -hmm. what you need in that specific moment. And I am a pretty big analytics guy. Like I really like the fact that it's opened up so many areas of the game for understanding that to me, you had, I, I'd never gotten that deep before. Um, but my biggest problem with the analytics community as a whole, and I include myself in it, is the sense of, because the probability of third time through the order says that you want to avoid this uh, in most situations, you manage as if that probability is happening in every single game. Mm -hmm. And in this game, to me, it really wasn't. No. Uh, that this was a moment where... You had to look at the way, I mean, to me, what gave it away to me is that in the top of the six, the Dodgers abandoned their approach against Blake Snell and, and right. what you associate with the Dodgers, which is take pitches, deep counts, work his pitch count up, grind out at bats. Uh, the first batter of the inning swung, it was uh, uh, Pollock, swung and made out on the first pitch. Um, and then Austin Barnes singled, I think it was the third pitch of the at-bat. So all it wasn't of a sudden, that hard hit of a ball either. No, no, certainly wasn't. Uh, so all of a sudden, you have one of the most patient teams in baseball deciding we can't afford to let the count get deep against this guy because every single pitch he's got, 
is an 80 grade pitch today. So we got to try to hunt something that's hittable early on and hope we just happen to guess right. And if you're a pitcher who's got his stuff working at that point, as Blake Snell certainly did, that's when you can really exploit over-aggressive hitters and say, okay, I just got to outguess you, and I know this pitch is going to work. And I, Kevin Cash didn't give him the opportunity to do that, and that's, that's frustrating. I would sit better if, let's say, Mookie Betts comes up and he homers off Blake Snell, and the Dodgers lead 2-1. to one. I feel a lot better if I'm sort of everybody because, I mean, what, how are you going to go against what Blake Snell did? And yes, you could say, well, that's facing a team the third time in the lineup. Yes, but look at the way he was pitched. There was no, there was nothing that told me in the previous five and a third innings that Blake Snell wasn't going to dominate Betts, Seager, and Turner because he had before. So that's one where you say, well, Mookie Betts is amazing. They adjusted to Blake Snell, and that's where you tip the cap to them. And I think if Mookie Betts or Corey Seager, they do their thing and the Dodgers take the lead in the sixth inning off Snell, I don't think you're sitting here saying, well, they should have taken Blake Snell out after Austin Barnes singled. I I don't think you may get a few of those people, but you're not going to get a lot of people questioning that decision because there's nothing that told you one way or the other. The other thing is, because these are the two most analytical teams, it's a similar situation in game five. Dave Roberts, take it out, Clayton Kershaw. And the Dodger fans let him hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the Dodger bullpen compared to the Rays bullpen, just in a neutral context, is n- certainly not nearly as deep and no. has a lot more issues. So that, that I mean, Roberts kind of lucked out that they managed to to – be competent for the rest of that game uh, because yeah, Kershaw I'm, part of the, part of the Roberts situation with Kershaw is that there have been so many games over Kershaw's postseason career where you look back and go, well, you left him in one batter or one inning too long. And I think uh, they were determined to almost overcorrect that to the point where before the game Rosenthal was saying that he's only going to face 21 batters and that's going to be it. And I think he faced like 22 that game. So it, that's uh, Kershaw's particular history, I think, played into that a little bit as well. Um, but that's still not playing off in the right. game's emotions. And, and so you're not basing off. Right. Got two outs and two pitches in, in his last inning of work. And you're thinking at that point, well, how much more work does he have to do to at least get the third out of the inning? But The Rays win one nothing, and the bullpen does its job and completely shuts down the Dodgers. Is this same discussion going on? So, yeah, here's the thing about, about the Rays bullpen. Um, and, I mean, if, this, if that happens uh, in, in a scenario where the Rays hang on to that, then you have all the analytics people crowing about, well, you never doubt third time through the order because that and, – and believe it, yeah, third time through the order is a thing. I understand that. But with the Rays bullpen as it was working in this World Series – and this goes with another this – is, this is just a personal theory of mine that, that I've held ever since – 2016 and the Cubs amazing comeback that year that if you're trying to bullpen an entire postseason in that way and getting multiple innings from your top guys in a particular game over and over again you really want short series because if a team manages to extend a series to six or seven games that's when your top arms really start tiring out if you keep asking for one and two-thirds or two innings at a time and Nick Anderson is the best example of that in this postseason where 
through the end of the division series against the Yankees. He was who he was in the regular season. He was the guy. He came in. You stopped scoring. You struck out. That's just what happened. After game five of the division series, when they extended him to two innings, he gave up runs in every single appearance he made for the rest of the postseason. And that's a trend. I understand it's a small sample, but we're dealing with a World Series game. It's nothing but small samples. And you have to understand that that's a trend you have to recognize if you're going to take out your ace pitcher who won the 2018 Cy Young after just five and a third innings and hand it over to a guy who is a shell of who he was even two weeks ago. And Kevin Cash didn't do that. Oh, my gosh. Let's go a little time travel. Can you imagine the Padres? Dodgers series went five games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was uh, I will say this, that was a pretty game one and three were pretty painful to, to watch. Yeah. I that mean, was, especially game three, watching Jace Tingler, who probably lost about 15 pounds walking <laughs> in and out from the dugout. That was, uh, there was a lot of groaning in the press box. <laughs> I'm sure the cardboard cutouts were groaning too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think if, it, if that series had gone five games, game five would have been the first nine-inning, five-and-a-half-hour time of game. And at, at some point, the Padres would have tried to reactivate Jake Peavy. Oh, good old Jake Peavy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was a workhorse. I mean, <laughs> you weren't taking him out if, if he had any say in it. So. Uh, Might as well had Fernando Tatis Jr. pitch. See how <laughs> that goes. Honestly, yeah. uh, I mean, he can do everything else. Why not? I don't know if that rule was put in place this year, though. Who who knows? I, I think if Fernando Tatis pitched and he gave up a grand slam, at least he let you celebrate. On three and zero. Oh. Yep. Yes. That. Uh, so let's talk about Kershaw for a second, uh, since we discussed him a couple minutes ago. Uh, so how good does it feel to see him host hoisting the trophy at the end of a series, and after knowing the narrative that he's had to deal with for the better part of the past decade. Like, and, to, and to do it in his home state and yeah. home area too. Highland Park. Yeah, which is only what? Is it 20 minutes from Arlington? Yeah, it's like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, so... Uh, I think it's high school, yeah. It was like, it, it's like in the near the downtown Dallas area. So it's like 15, 20 minutes. Um, I haven't particularly been in that neighborhood, but uh, no, that's got to make it even sweeter. Absolutely, yeah. And... Uh, it just like how just as a baseball fan, how do you feel seeing him like not just have a moment where he's a champion, but knowing that he played a significant role in getting that championship? There's, there's something to me that just feels right about that. I think at some point you, you just it's a weight lifted off. And the fact that he had such a successful postseason and a successful run just makes it even more sweeter and can finally just negate all of the bad karma for struggling postseason. A lot of that, and I may be wrong on this, but I think a lot of that came early in his career too, as far as early postseason work. And from, from what I remember, he was actually uh, last few years act decent. I mean, he wasn't terrible. He was periodically great is, is yeah. the best way I can describe it that he would have like in 20 I don't think he earned the reputation it, as as being an awful postseason pitcher he he would it, it always felt like he was on the verge of destroying that once and for all and then he would have one of those games again and it would it, you just hear it like the volume would be turned up again on on all the screaming about how he can't do it like in in 2017 game one 
outduel Justin Verlander, was dominant. Then game five, the Astros had his signs, and yeah. Are we really taking 2017? Like, can, can just, we... just in the context of the times, before we knew about what the Astros did, that, that was how it would work, is that it would look like he was about to defeat it, and then it would just all slip away again. Uh, and so to have a postseason like this, where, again, everybody's waiting for the bad Kershaw game, and we actually had it against the Braves, and for the Dodgers to overcome that as a team, and then for him to personally to say, you know what, the hell with it, I'm going to be great for the entire World Series, that, as a baseball fan, is, is exactly what you want for the pitcher of this generation to do. I think it's fantastic, and I think, you know, once you – we'll see what does it as far as his postseason future – but, um, but yeah, no, I think it, it's when you win that first and after everything you've gone through before in your career, it's such a weight lifted off that now you can say, yep, we got it. And I think for the organization too, for the Dodgers, because I think after game four, and I was talking to this with a couple of people, I think after game four, you're like, you know what? In a series, even at two, that's the kind of game that can just toss your postseason out the window. Oh, my God. And really, the Dodgers deserve so much credit for the way they came out in game five oh, and yeah. took a two glass now. Uh, and you could kind of see the way. And, and, they and were who reacting. started that game in game yeah. five? Yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody who's a postseason choker? No. no? Okay. Blayton Bershaw? Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, he, he might be pretty good, it turns out, in retrospect. But you could see in the dugout the way that they were reacting after they scored those two early runs that this was a team that was using the way game four turned on them as fuel of, oh, fuck this. No, this is our series, and we are going to take this over. And they did. And and all the credit in the world to them. I think they can honor that to being down 3-1 to the Braves. Right. And winning three in a row. I think once you do that, you lose a game like game four. I think, you know, it didn't face I mean, it faced, faced us because we're thinking, oh, how can you recover? But I don't think it faced them because in such a way, they've already been in that situation before. Mm-hmm. where you're playing three consecutive elimination games, three consecutive days. That's the other thing about the NLCS and mm-hmm. ALCS, seven straight days of baseball, which is, which I, I mean, has that ever happened where you have seven straight days? Not in the TV era, to my knowledge. I, I would venture to guess before TV started covering World Series, like back when you used to have like Yankees, Brooklyn Dodgers, in the back in the 50s, they probably had maybe seven days in a row, but yeah, right now, that, that's obviously unheard of. And when you have seven straight days of baseball, I mean, the one thing that comes out in the end is if you have superior depth, that's eventually going to win out. And there is, as we have seen, no team that's deeper than this current Dodgers group. No, absolutely. So I think that didn't phase them at all, mm-hmm. uh, losing the way they did in game four. I think it just sort of, okay, we're tied at two. Let's go back right at it because we lost game two. Series is even at one. Now it's a best of three. Yeah, and so you posted on your Twitter account shortly after Game 4 ended real-time footage of the Brett Phillips walk-off off of Kenley yep. Jansen. How could you hold your phone steady throughout all that? Because I went completely batshit insane. Like, my, my moment watching that was base hit, screamed, then the t- Chris Taylor bobble, I yell, oh no, and my best Ron Santo, then the throw into Will Smith at the plate, and he loses track, and I yell, oh, no, again, and then Rays win, and I just kind of ripped the top of my head in the Anthony Rizzo at third base pose, and was just, yeah, like, was just baseballing it, man. 
I'll be honest, 50% of that, I had no idea what happened <laughs> because I was like, wait, what's, what's going on with Will Smith? And then all of a sudden I see them celebrating. So I just kept my camera on like Brett Phillips the entire time. I, I know that they had tied it and I know Rosarena slipped down, but I was like, at the moment, I didn't even know what happened with Chris Taylor because mm-hmm. I was so focused on getting as far as home plate goes. So I got, uh, I believe it's Kiermaier that scored the, the tying run. And I didn't even know that Chris Taylor bobbled it in right. I were I mean, at second base, but mm-hmm. yeah. And then all of a sudden I see like Will Smith being turned around and it was just like, it's uh it's a gift holding it steady, <laughs> holding it neutral. But, but yeah, you could just tell on everybody's face. Uh, they were just like, what? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a damn moment at, uh, and I didn't. I, I think in real time, I didn't even realize a Rosarena had tripped going around third base because I was busy screaming by myself in my apartment, so I didn't hear Joe Buck's call of that. But yeah, it is a somersault slick. <laughs> I mean, you talk about you should win a game just based on style points alone. On the, at that point, then give it to a Rosarena and the Rays. Like as soon as Taylor bobbled the ball in center field, and I you saw it in uh, on TV on the telecast my immediate thought was, oh my God, they're going to try to win this right now. And then that was just the start of one of the most insane sequences I've ever seen in a postseason game. And it's weird for a team that's never won the big one like the Rays have. They've been a part of a few of these just classic baseball moments where they come out on top at the end between game four of this World Series, which is still going to be the most memorable game of all six of these. And, you know, the final game of 2011 where they leaped over the Red Sox and made the playoffs on that giant comeback in the ninth and the Evan Longoria walk-off. So even though the Rays... They lost in the division series. Right. Against, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. A, mm-hmm. a certain team from a certain suburb of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, as I recall. Uh, I, I was debating whether or not to put my Chicago accent for that super fans moment on, but I didn't. But anyway. Um, but the Rays have had moments in baseball history, it's, it's, even though they, they have yet to win the whole thing. Uh, so what was your feeling like when you realized what had all transpired and it all had settled in, like just watching that craziness unfold after game four? I think just in general, the whole game itself. And I, I thought about if it was a game seven, it, and I, and, and I know, you know, 2016 game seven, not touching that. You're not touching that. Uh, possibly considering how the whole 2020 season has gone mm -hmm. quite possibly, but no 2016 silver rights. Cause it is a game seven. This was a game four, but if you're talking just world series games alone without game seven, game four, game one, I would say it's, it is probably like neck and neck. (laughs) Yeah. Well, next time just based on the momentum shifts. Yeah. Give the Rays another, what, 82 years to add to their championship drought, and then we can talk about significance of postseason games. But uh, Hey, at least they have a uh, championship to celebrate. I'm yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it certainly, in terms of just in great World Series games, it's one of the best of this decade, obviously. Like, I would put, obviously, Game 7 in 2016. Not going to match it, sorry. Uh, that uh, horrific game that shall not be don't, named. In don't say it. Game that shall not <laughs> be named. Yep, I don't like it either. I don't like any bit of it, but it happened. Uh, and really, would you put the 18-inning game from 2018 with that as well? 
Um, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, By the way, if my date's correct, I think game six of this year's World Series was on the nine-year anniversary mm. of Oh, that, yeah, so. they were making a big deal of that on TV. That's right, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, of course they make it a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, believe me, after decades of watching Steve Garvey and the fucking foul ball, yeah, I... I I understand. Ranger fans always have PTSD from that game. Yep. Yeah. I, I postseason PTSD is a sensation that I am very, very familiar with. And I will tell you that if they ever run through the tape, it makes it that much better. Uh, I know it's it's small consolation at this point, but it, it really does become worth it in like an instant. It's amazing how that works. Um, one thing about that particular moment with the Brett Phillips walk-off is that I felt real bad for Kenley Jansen uh, because this is someone who has had a heart condition even before this year has had operations to deal with that and got COVID before this season and yet decided he was going to play and, and try to win a championship with his team. And that is his last appearance of this world series. And this is someone who is one of the best closers of this decade. Uh, and someone who is not a piece of shit, as other best closers of the decade might be. <laughs> and he's someone I'd want to see succeed in a moment like that. And it, I, I did, my heart went out to him a little bit. I thought for a second, and this is because they, in game six, they used Gratterall. And it was interesting that, because Julio Urias did finish the NLCS. Speaking of And people, so, yeah, yeah and Urias... I mean, there's no reason in my mind that, and we're talking about managers making pitching change decisions. There's no reason in my mind that would think, oh, are you going to take Julio Urias out? Because he, he again, was dealing. But I thought for a second that maybe Kenley Jansen would get warmed up. Nobody was warming up in there. Um, I saw Kershaw, like, stand up a couple of times uh, and throwing a ball. I thought maybe he would take off the sweatshirt, but he never did. Um, Actually, I think that back. I forgot who was warming. It was... Was it Trinan that was warming up? I believe Trinan. Yeah, Blake Trinan was warming up. Hmm. I'm sorry. But um, no, Kenley Jansen was still sitting down in the Dodgers bullpen. But yeah, I would have liked to, well, I, I think Dodger fans wouldn't have liked that. But no. it is nice for Kenley Jansen to be a World Series champion. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that's, that's what matters, uh, even though his last appearance of 2020 wasn't all that great. At the end of the day, you have the title and you can't deny it said he helped his team get to that point, get to the world series title points because mm-hmm. he did pitch some pretty good games in the postseason. Yeah. Yeah. He stepped up against the Braves. And I think even in the first part of this world series that he was someone who was looking like you could regain a bit of confidence in him. All of this said the way that last pitch to Brandon Phillips or not Brandon Phillips to uh, Brett Phillips was as horrific a pitch as you could throw in that situation. That uh, The way that that at-bat played out, I couldn't believe it. Uh, The first strike of the at-bat was off the inside corner, was not a strike. Second strike of the at-bat was off the outside corner, also not a strike. But Will Smith... that Chris Guccione that we can blame for that? Yep, yep. And we have Will Smith framed them both in and catcher framing is the shittiest baseball skill in the game today. Not going to take any debate on spoken this. Like, spoken like a true Cubs fan because you know who's been victimized by that more by another unnamed yep. bird. Yeah, someone who is not a Hall of Famer. Uh, but that's not why you called. 
but you have him down one, two against a guy who has what three at bats in the past month total. If ever there is a situation where you can get him to chase on either end of the plate, you would think this is it. And Kenley Jansen's next pitch is a cutter that catches the entire strike zone. And that certainly is not how he designed it. It's not where he wanted to throw it, but nonetheless, that's where it ended up. And that was, I mean, as soon as you saw it, it cut the strike zone box like that. It's like, oh, dude, no, no, that's not what you want. But by the way, Kenley Jansen should have backed up Will Smith behind the plates. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to change the fact from it being a tie game but that could have changed the fact of the game going to extra innings. Yeah. And who knows what happens after yeah. that. We may not even talk about game six. It all may have been over game five, mm-hmm. but that is a mistake on Jansen's part. He should have went behind the plate. Yeah. It's getting caught up in the moment and just being upset with what you fundamentals. Did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. It just kind of sucked for him uh, on the flip side. I mean, how cool is it that Brett Phillips is a goddamn world series hero? That's somebody who I think up until this point, if he was known at all, was known for a donkey laugh and a series of YouTube videos. And now, I mean, he's, he's walking off World Series games with the best, with the Kirk Gibsons and the Luis Gonzalez's of the world. The Gonzalez. How did, how did no one, and we're talking about the internet here, how did no one post that clip and him laughing in the background on the play that happened. How did nobody do that voiceover? <laughs> oh, God, that's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Link those two up. Uh, but, I mean, that's, that's what makes baseball awesome is that sometimes guys like that find themselves in the most important situation any team could find themselves in. And on very rare occasions, they come through. And the only comp that I can think of for that, do you remember, does Francisco Cabrera ring a bell to you, that name at all? There's a lot of Franciscos and there's a lot of Cabreras. But I'm wondering if that, is that before my time? A little bit, yeah. It's uh, the 1992 NLCS, uh, the Braves. Ken, I was one year old. I was one year. I I don't count on you watching at that point. Uh, Have you ever seen the clip of the Braves walking off the Pirates? I think it was game seven of that series. I believe believe I've seen that clip, yes. The Fid Bream chugging around third and Skip Carey yells out, Braves win, Braves win, Braves win. And that was a walk-off hit. There might have even been two outs. And the Braves were down by one. So it was losing to winning hit by the guy at the end of their bench, a guy named Francisco Cabrera, who, as far as I know, played maybe a couple years after that, but never did anything of close to that. And, and that's that to me. And then that's what makes baseball great is that, yeah, you have the Mookie Betts of the world who just show up in the world series and show every single baseball skill that he's got. But sometimes the game also comes down to Brett Phillips and on rare occasions, Brett Phillips comes through. Or you have the most magical postseason ever like Randy or Rosarena. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, just an astounding, and, the best part about all that is the Cardinals gave him away. Cardinals said, no, we don't see any future in you, Randy Orozarena. You take yourself to the Tampa Bay Rays and see what you can do. And, uh, yeah, some devil magic finally working in the other direction. Isn't baseball grand? It's the damn best. Grand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, after we finish up this great World Series, are you just going to kind of take a few weeks to just go, ah, don't have to write about this for a while? or? Um, well, 
Yeah, because uh, Rangers offseason is going to get uh, – who knows what's going to happen on yeah. that. Uh, we already we already have something pretty uh, weird, and that's co-pitching coaches. Oh my the gosh. Rangers let go of Julio Ron Hill, so they now have uh, co-pitching coaches. Hmm. Well, I don't think you've heard of that one before. Yeah, that that's that's new to me. Uh, but I would also venture to say, if the Rangers decide they're not going to replace Chris Woodward with, I don't know, Casey Stengel, it won't be the weirdest baseball story of the week. Oh, of course! <laughs> I think the Chicago White Sox took that. Took that. Have. Fun with that, White Sox. Yeah, we, we will probably dig into that in the next couple weeks in the pod. Uh, anything else to plug while I still got you here? Uh, no, I mean, just uh, over the weekend, I've got um, I've got a couple of things as far as this uh, World Series goes. I've got uh, um, local and national writers' opinions on Globe Life Field. I also have a, a piece on the Rangers DJ, Michael Gruber, who did a fantastic job. So all of the sounds that you heard all the music you heard that was him uh doing a great job with chuck morgan it's ranger fans have it great it's a great combination and also um i will say this rangers communications did a fantastic job with everybody in the press area with all the interviews that were done um especially in this year rangers pr uh one of the greats uh but yeah i'll have both of those taken in and, and some fans input as far as Globe Life Field, um, I was pleasantly surprised how many uh, fans wore masks, as in like kept them on. I would say, um, I would, I went down to the concourse a couple times. Game six, there wasn't, I would say probably the percentage, but I say not as many. I'd say probably about 88 to 90% of people wearing masks and security guards had to say, you know, put it on and all of that. Game four, or was it, I think it was game four, yeah. I would say distinctly about 95 to 97% of fans were wearing masks. And I don't count people who are, you know, drinking or eating when they have them off, because obviously that's what they do. And they're standing, they're not walking around. So I was pleasantly surprised of how many people were following orders um, was there social distancing? I don't know how you can when you have 11,000 people and you have about half of that walking the concourse. So it's, it's nearly impossible for that to happen. But as far as uh, being as safe as that can, I think they did a pretty good job. I think fans did a really good job. Um, and then, of course, after the game, fans just going absolutely nuts in the 40-degree cold, cold <laughs> night in Arlington, Texas. And uh, I, I will say this, it is going to be a loud globe life field and how loud it was with 11,000s. I don't know how it picked up on TV, but it, it sounded pretty, sounded pretty loud. And the Rangers typically draw about 25 to 30,000 per game. It, on TV, it always felt like at the start of the game, it, it was eerily quiet. Like, cause you know, world series right. usually, usually start with that roar and that was never there. So that always kind of took you out of it. But to me, especially in games like, you know, game four and game six, as the game went along is, is it kind of steadily increased into that just like insane roar, especially at the end of game four after Phillips's walk off. So yeah, it, it did come through at the end of games. And that, and it makes you wonder as far as 11,000 and that's how many were there as far as the noise goes. So you figure multiply that by about two or three and that's on, that's on a, a like a Seattle Mariners, Oakland athletics, 
type uh, home game during the week. So when you bring in Yankees, Red Sox, um, trying to think of, uh, they don't go to LA, uh, LA doesn't come here this year, but um, in the future, when you have like some big name teams coming in, when the Cubs come in, Mm -hmm. uh, whenever that's going to be, it's going to get pretty loud. So it's pretty pumped when Astros come in. Especially, yes, that's what I was thinking. That if, if you get that going, that that could be fun. Uh, and honestly, can't believe I'm about to say this based on what you just told me, but it would be nice if the rest of this country imitated World Series fans and not some World Series players, Justin Turner. <laughs> hey, well, and again, you never know. Well, you don't know what the results are as far as fans go, but... Yeah. Uh, who knows? But I mean, they just take they just take your temperature. Mask. Wear the damn mask. <laughs> like, just do the bare minimum of of being considerate for your fellow human beings. Is, is I guess the message of this particular podcast. Uh, so yeah, Alex Plink. It was a delightful World Series and a delightful conversation. Thanks for being on. Absolutely, Ken. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, and well, who knows what's going to happen next year? But hopefully, we'll be talking about as far as the normality goes. And uh, hopefully by the next time that the players get ready for spring training, everything is all back and uh, we can just look on this as a nice little story for, for our youngins. If we get spring training in February, I will be thrilled. I, mean, that's, I that's will be thrilled too. The bare minimum, but that's what we can hope for. Good to talk to you, sir. Thank you so much, Dan.